Hi, welcome to the Service Design Global Conference in Amsterdam. It's yeah. been fun so far. It's nice to be here. One, yeah. one more time on the road. Yeah, missing yeah. You. I've, I've missed you. Now, now that I've moved back to Helsinki, I don't get to see you uh, every day. Well, but then we meet in some other European cities. Yeah, and we'll to, see. Today we have a really nice guest with us that we just saw the talk. Yeah, uh, let's introduce Oscar Tomiko, or maybe it's better you introduce yourself. You, you just gave us a really interesting talk uh, about smart textiles. Thank you. Yeah, my name is Oscar. I work as assistant professor in the Eindhoven University of Technology. And my job, uh, what I research on, is on bringing technology close to the body. Okay. I, I think you had some, some really neat examples and ideas, uh, especially when, if we dive right into it, uh, how do you combine textiles with technology? What is your thought? Yeah, I think that um, for me, like working with textiles is really, really interesting because as I said during the presentation, textiles is a, like a naturalized technology. So everybody's using them, but no one thinks that what you're wearing has been grown, who knows where, has been transformed into a yarn somewhere else, has been transformed into a textile somewhere else. and someone has designed a garment out of it which has been then produced, distributed and finally sold and now you are wearing it. So I think that for me textiles is a really nice way to get into, get, get into the person, get into the body, get into this intimate area which resides really close to you or on you. Okay, so that could be like the next, uh, not say the next generation of wearables, but it's something that it becomes more, much more natural that we're using a wristband or a, or a watch or something that is external to to your body. Yeah, exactly. Actually, um, we call them soft wearables as a way to differentiate from wearables because for us, uh, we were always co calling them garments or wearables and everybody was imagining that we were doing, we were recovering Fitbits with textile. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And uh, this is not actually what we do. We really try to look at textiles from from the material perspective. I mean, textiles actually, it's uh, they work in the same way that the electronics. It's also ones and zeros. It's one yarn up, one yarn down. So actually, um, the development of the industrialization of textiles was done at the same time as the development of computing. And it's really interesting this parallelism and how can we try to readdress this. Uh, separation and put them back together. Yeah, the earliest computing technologies were actually for weaving mills and all of these uh, complex patterns that they could encode in, in punch cards and other things. Uh, I remember working in the mills back in the 1800s. It was, it was hard work. You're such a dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> and what kind of projects do you do around these themes? So um, we try to explore a bit broadly what can we do? So we do things in fashion, we do things in uh, interior, we do things in uh, more like objects that you have around and also we work in tools or professional tools for elderly care or other other fields. Okay, so it's not like exclusive just for garments or wearing or, or clothing, you expand even for the, for the physical objects? Or, yeah. yeah, I think that the textiles are really interesting because if you look around, almost everything is covered with them. So walls, floors, people, objects, even they can be used 
to cover the air or be floating in the air. So actually, it's a really, really nice material to work with. Okay. And the process is like, because I'm totally ignorant on the subject. I, <laughs> I know that there, there are some, some, some experiments around that. But for example, one, one of the experiments is like putting conductive technology within the textile or making a, a water repellent electronic textile. And is this kind of, is this kind of the, the scope that you guys do or it goes beyond this, that? So we've been trying to explore different ways of integrating textiles and technology. And technology is a really bad word because actually textiles is already a technology. So let's say about combining technologies. And we do that by, for example, um, uh, keeping them separated. So the example that I showed with the, um, that, no, that I explained about like this augmented reality on textiles, it's a good example where you can use an iPad and a, and a bed sheet without having to put anything on the textile. How, how does that textile. work, just for somebody who didn't saw the, the presentation? Yeah, so um, we, we, we did a project with a weaving company in, in, in the Netherlands and also like uh, an elect, uh, interaction design company. And what we were trying to work is on combining uh, to see what's the value of taking a crafts or craftsmanship approach to make uh, smart textiles more sustainable and speeding up the process. We go to like the end and what we developed was um, a blanket for, uh, for kids either for hospitals or their own house, which has some patterns on it, like a story, uh, which is developed by um, a local uh, graphic designer or, a, or book illustrator. And this story can be augmented by means of using your iPad or your phone with 3D objects on top. And the interesting thing is that we didn't really work the animations that much, because actually it's you by moving the textile that you can animate the objects. So um, if you project on a surface, it's a, it's a hard surface, nothing changes, but when you project on, a, on like a textile, if you move the textile, suddenly you transform the image. You can deform it, you can make it go up and down, and especially if you are projecting a, a 3D object on it, you can make it jump, walk, dance a bit, depending on how you move it. So that was a really nice way to bring um, bring actually di the digital world closer to the body. Yeah, it's a, a nice combination. I, I was just thinking as I was listening to you that, that it might be fun to explore service design with textiles and, and technology through maybe an example. And, and I have something that came to mind. Um, if you have difficulty speaking, maybe you had a stroke, maybe you, you, you have some other event as a, a child. Uh, can we like ideate together if you put, uh, for example, touchable regions on your clothing to allow you to say certain common phrases or combine them into words? Hmm. What would be the, the challenges or how, how would we approach something like that? Yeah, so I think that first of all, what we need to realize is that designing products to be worn are not the same as doing garments. So um, there's a lot of things to take into account, like positioning of these patches, like the role of the body on these things. I mean, if the only thing you're gonna do is gonna be like pressing parts of your body, you can look more stupid that by pressing them than actually by not being able to talk. So mm -hmm. we have to be really careful into where we put it and what it does. Um, I normally try to use 
smart textiles more to support activities in a sensory motor skill level rather than in a cognitive level. And why? Because we can cover all your body with them. That means that I can give more support if you need it. I can give you a different temperature if you need it. I can point at parts of your body if I need to make you move. So I can really can give information for action. And I think that's the really valuable thing about smart textiles is that it's not just for the cognitive part, but also for all the other senses. So if someone had a stroke, uh, would be good to think about what other, th what other actions, what activities does the body, what movement does the body, what kind of situations you put yourself in that might need some help. So, and this is really tricky, it's really tricky to move from what we are used products to do or what we are used service to do, to move on to how we can support the body and how we can support sensory motor, the sensory motor skills of the person. It's much more personal, it's much more tailored, yeah, and yeah. much more human. Yeah, and the thing is that when we, <laughs> when we make products, we tend to define the functionality. But no one tells you how to use your garments. If they will tell you how to use your garments, like, no, this one is just for Mondays, or this one should go with a suit, suddenly you will have some kind of repulse to them. And the problem is that most of the wearables are done as if they were products. So that means that they are telling people how to use them. So it's like if you have like a mini god on you telling you what to do all the time and no one likes that. So that's something important to, uh, to forget. And we, it's not that we learned this, we, it's not that we knew this from the beginning, actually we learned it the hard way. With the pillow that we developed, which is a pillow that supports a multisensory stimulation for people with dementia. Um, at the beginning we said, yeah, we're gonna, program all these behaviors so people can do that and then we realize that everybody's different everybody wants to use it in a different way and that it will cost so much money to develop this standardized thing that works for everybody that we decided to stop and just keep it at the level of the sensory motor skills we develop a mapping between the touch the movement and the vibrations and other, and other uh, actuators that were there. And then what we said is we, we, we said, well, we leave it to the service providers to develop a language together with the, their, uh, their patients. Because each family talks in a different way. You are moving your finger like this now. You are actually with your hands together. So um, if we would like to make a pillow for you, it would be different than for someone else. And for example, I'm not putting my hands on the table now. So maybe for me, a pillow doesn't work. So it's really important to work together with the people that are going to use it and co-develop it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that uh, co-creation is one of the themes we've seen a lot here. And, and it seems that there's an attempt in the community to move beyond sort of co-design to uh, some deeper level of integration. And, and there doesn't seem to be agreement on what that is. You, you brought up a number of really interesting points and, and, and nice insights. I like that you're, you're concerned like with how someone wearing this would feel, and that affects what you're doing. You're not simply strapping a service onto their body so that you can make money. You are, it's like if you, if you look at uh, people going from uh, a web service to a mobile service, it, we, we like to say, oh, the mobile service is much more personal, it's in your pocket, but that really doesn't compare to how stupid you look if you're wearing Google Glass and having to nod your head all the time. You have to 
think about how someone feels and how does that change their perception of themselves and, and those around them if you are um, if you are suffering from some medical condition for example you still have ego and pride and you uh, want to express yourself the mm -hmm. best way possible yeah that's why we always try to work with fashion designers and, and not just because and it's not about making it nice because I think that that's a question of tastes and whoever, and for whoever you design for. Um, we, we work with them because they take into account also what's, what's up and coming, so what trends are going on. And they also are really good at spotting how things that you're working on relate to previous um, cultural issues. So it doesn't matter what do you design it always people try to relate it to something or someone or a moment in time so does this look like from 2016 does it look from 2010 does it look like from my mother does it look like from my friend does it look like being part of this kind of people does it look like i'm part of another kind of people another group of people and this is something that fashion does really easily but in product design we don't do that much so I think that the combination of these two fields and material science, blah, 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 or whatever you want to say, it's, it's what makes this uh, possible. I mean, we wouldn't have been able to do what we've done just by ourselves. That was a nice point that you brought up in your uh, talk, like not taking credit for yourself or trying to do everything by yourself, but it takes a large number of people with different skills. And, and how do you bring those together into coherent whole? What is the uh, vision or methodology for that? So I think that, first of all, to just get them together, I think that quality attracts quality. So that's what one, one thing that a colleague of mine from work says all the time. So if you do a good work, people have the like to relate to other people that do good work. So that's the first thing. So it already creates like an expert to expert relation where you want to work with someone because of what it does, what it what has, because of their skills, because of what they are capable of, the infrastructure they have behind, and that this respect, it's something really really important. Um, but of course, people have egos, and people tend to talk, and talking it's dangerous. And why is it dangerous? Because I can always say something, you can interpret it in another way, you can ask me a question. It's the same as when you are designing just by conceptualizing, is that there's always someone that's going to ask you a tricky question and someone always going to find this little thing that doesn't work. But if we look at it from the perspective of, of the prototype and the, the, the system or the product service system to be, then it's not about if I like you or I don't like you, if you are right or you are wrong, it's about the thing. And by, and by talking about the thing, that makes it way easier to overcome problems because then it's not a problem we have between uh, the two of us, it's something we need to solve. A common goal, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And that's really important. And besides that, I had some little tricks like if someone wants to do a small exploration, I said, yeah, you can do whatever you want, but you need to do it with someone else from the project. So I didn't allow for these uh, individual runners. I didn't allow for that. So they always had to go in groups of two. And that's really 
it seems really stupid, but if you just put two together, which then also do something with someone else and then do something with someone else, start like creating like a network, start creating this kind of relations between them, which end up being the group. Yeah, I, I remember uh, there's a, a classic work in knowledge creation theory, Nanaka Taguchi Knowledge Spiral, whereby going from what you have inside your head, but it's not yet explicit, it's not in words, that conversion from tacit to explicit by having to work with someone else helps generate the knowledge and, and cement it and, and turn it into something real, and mm. especially with a multidisciplinary field like this. Yeah, and the nice thing is that then it's not my knowledge anymore, it's our knowledge. And yeah. then we talk about our project and our knowledge and our contribution to it. And that's, that's the most important, this sense of belonging, this sense of being part of it, motivating and being proud, it's really, really important. So I, I want to ask a couple of questions, but like I'm going to start, step out a little bit out of the, out of the collaboration part. But um, how far like, is, is the industry behind these, these new textiles in terms of like mass production and becoming more than a norm and not experimental or just first step projects? So um, I have to say that what I've been showing, um, it's done with industry, but it's done as an exploration. And I think that um, for me, one of the most important learning points was that to realize that these products will, or these product service systems will never end up in the market. Although actually one of them is, but, uh, but most of them don't. And the reason for that is that there's no point for a textile company to develop a smart textile service because they are just responsible for the textile. There's no point for an um, interaction design company to develop a smart textile service because they are just working, for example, with the app. So you can't expect that one of them or all of them will take what you're doing further, but they might take some little things. So from the weaving company, I've been working with them and I know they're working with other people to integrate different kind of yarns in their weaving looms. Um, the, um, the service design company is using the project to get new funding and develop new projects out of that. It also was a change in their identity in terms of their, their brand. Now they are seen as the innovative service uh, elderly care company in the Netherlands as one of the innovative companies in the Netherlands, the interaction design company um, realized the importance of projects like these, like the augmented reality and things like that. And now they are actually developing further together with another textile company. So I think that these are, these are some of the interesting things. And even like the, the people that were doing all the electronics, they end up transforming them into a platform that now they are, I think, almost ready to sell and putting Kickstarter or something like this. So each of these attempts gets recombined and, and recycled in, in new forms and, and it's not a loss that it didn't come out to the market in exactly the form that it first appeared. Exactly. And I think that's something that if you know from the beginning, then you look at the project in a different way. I always talk about the adoption of the, of the knowledge or the adoption of the, of the design. And, uh, that's, and uh, you adopt just a part of it, and that's already a success. So rather than to see it as a failure, because not everything is in, because as, I think as product designers, we see our products as one and indivisible thing. Mm -hmm. 
But I think that if you look at it from a product service system perspective, then you also realize that there's more little parts that can be maybe used as building blocks for something else. You know, just the final product. That exactly. Uh, it takes a lot of pressure out as well, right? Yeah, because then it's, it's, it's just about, if people take something further, it's because they really believe on it, if they really want it. It's not me knocking at the door, do you want it now? And then go days after. And now, do you think you can? We can produce it. And and again, so for me, I was happy at the end to create some kind of platform by means of of a, an exhibition in a museum where they could use that they could use it to just bring people in, talk about it, communicate the value of their project to who knows what. So I, I we transform the project into a set of samples, a set of like super nice fashions fashion photos, I don't, I don't think that's the word to use, but anyway, uh, interaction design videos and a specification list with all the materials and the components mm -hmm. so that people from electrical engineering could understand what we are doing, people from fashion design could understand what we are doing, people from textile development could understand what we are doing, and people from interaction design could also see it, and of course service design. True, because the, like, <clears throat> it's a material that brings a lot of new possibilities that you never tried before. For example, I can see that an interaction designer might scratch their head, like, how can I start to interact with this material, make something meaningful out of it? The service designer, most likely, I don't know, you are the engineer, you can talk about that part. But I think, yeah, it brings, in, brings new challenges and new mediums. It's interesting. Yeah, I, I think the, the thing that often fails if it's purely engineering-driven, you just want to sell a certain cloud service or you want to sell a certain piece of electronics because that's mm, the hammer you hit the world with. That's your one tool. That's, that's the what thing you, that you like. But when you uh, can try to get into people's minds, that's the part where I feel like I fail. I don't understand how people are going to react to this thing. I'm, I'm curious when you're dealing with textiles plus electronics type of services, you have a a different feeling, a different sensation or relationship to the product and if that mm, affects how you approach this or, or mm. if you have an image in mind mm. that, that certain things might work better than others. Yeah, for us, uh, what I always say is that uh, designing smart textiles or functional textiles or technological fashion, whatever it is that you want to call it, doesn't require new skills because you collaborate with the other people that have them, but it requires a, a different mindset. It requires to, to look at functionality in a different way, because now it's not just that it does something, it's actually, it also should communicate your identity, it should be comfortable, it should fit your everyday. Um, also for a fashion designer, they will need to think about they will need to break the preconceptions that if something warms up needs to be for like a for a like sports jacket maybe warmth can be used as a new way of brand identity and these are the kind of things that um that that are difficult to see and that's why i think it's so important that we start from education we start from the universities and we start by doing workshops and presenting so that people see this thing. I mean, the, the, the biggest problem, I think, for the, the biggest reason why smart textiles are or wearables are not mainstream, it's because either fashion or either engineering 
um, they are stubborn and they want to stay in the way they want to do things. We're not stubborn. <laughs> I'm, okay. I'm an engineer, yeah, yeah. Okay. so I'm also stubborn. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not... I'm we're, we're very stubborn, to be clear. <laughs> um. No, it's, we were speaking a few, a few moments actually about like wearables and smartwatches and so on that like the adoption was great on the beginning but people don't see the value anymore and textiles or or this kind of this kind of technology can be much more naturally adopted as a second skin almost and i can totally see the potential of brands although i never thought about that until you said that uh how you can start to for example having like more sensorial experience through textiles that enhance the power of the brand yeah, there's a lot of possibilities, but the challenge is um, to make it happen. It, it's quite complicated to bring together so many disciplines. And, and maybe unlike smartwatches, which had a peak of interest and they're currently declining and maybe they come back. But uh, it might be a blessing that it's so hard to get smart textile products out there because you have more time to develop how how this whole system will come together. And, and at some point, a, a small innovative company or, or a large brand will put all of those elements together in a form that people love, and then we get the hype curve. Yeah, I think that now what you see, it's like people or companies developing building blocks. So there's some companies developing um, electronics that are already miniaturized, so a system of a chip, system on a chip, but already with all the cloud services integrated. So something that you can easily almost like, uh, how, you, how you call it, like um, click and play. No, I don't know what was that. Yeah, with some sort of plug into your shirt. Yeah, or... plug and play, exactly. Yeah. And before, like one of the most complicated things was to get all the wireless communication running. And now if you have already all these parts set up, database, cloud services, communication, sensing, etc., in one little thing that you can put in your uh, zipper, I think it's already quite interesting. The other thing is that there's a lot of developments in functional textiles, so we are talking about materials, that could become also really relevant. So I always say that if we use electronics, it's because we don't know how to make it happen. So electronics are just black boxes where you have an input and an output and in the middle, you just have something that transforms it. But now we have materials that can do this thing. So we don't need the black boxes anymore. We can use a specific paint, a specific coating. We can use a lot of things that now are becoming quite, um, quite easy to find. They say that like the, uh, Functional textiles is like one of it will be one of the main drivers of the um, industrial comeback in, of Europe. Which just makes sense. It leads me to the question: like, how which would be the first segment to adopt like massively this kind of textiles? I, I have a hint that might be healthcare, but not fashion, but. You are you, you are into the to the market. Yeah. What's your what's your gut feeling? I think that it's already happening, but. Um, we don't really, oh, I mean, or we either don't see it because we don't realize that it's there or because we see it as a normal thing. But all these professional tools for firefighters, politicians, I politicians, well, maybe they might need it too. <laughs> um, I have some ideas for politicians. Politi yeah. There's usually some electrodes in there. <laughs> <laughs> or protecting them from that. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> 
um, so populism and etc. There's already quite a lot of tracking devices, uh, uh, fireproof, um, support uh, smoke resistant or temperature resistant things that are already in the market and they are all connected, monitorized and like in the cloud. Uh, I think in fashion there's actually also quite a lot of things. The, the last um, collection from I think two big uh, fashion designers already includes uh, electronics and other kinds of functional textiles. So I think it's coming, it's, it's, it's going to be there soon, but uh, we shouldn't expect that much um, happening because I always say like a new technology requires a new use. So maybe when we will live in Mars, then we will require all this super cool, functional, wearable stuff. Because there, um, the functionality that clothes, clothing will have, it's not going to be just to be seen and to uh, fit in a specific uh, group of people. It's not going to be just about um, protection and it's not going to be about comfort, but it will be also about surviving in a climate of minus 15 or surviving in a climate that goes from minus 15 or minus 115 to 50 degrees. Maybe it's going to be about surviving in the space. Maybe it's going to be about being able to lift things that are way heavier than what we are used to because gravity is different. And then we will need a lot of new things. But it actually sounds a lot like my daily life in Finland, trying to walk the dog in extreme cold. And you already work, and you already wear there like functional textiles or like high performance textiles. Yeah. So it's a question of time that maybe if you are like at minus 50 degrees or something like this, I mean, if, if they give you one jacket that it's uh, super thin and one like might be like the, the, the onion layered structure that you are wearing now, you quickly will change. So I think also um, what is really important is to find the moment in the everyday where these things or these garments will be needed. There's a lot of um, thinking about wearables as a way to measure your life. And, and some of that is, is really useful, like in, in medical, as you were saying, Ricardo, or we had a, a really uh, gifted group of students working in Futurize, uh, working on a uh, uh, wearable suit with a fashion designer. It, it looks like a, a Batman suit with various um, integrated sensors that allow you to, to measure your posture. So as you're sitting there and they can in real time hmm. manipulate a 3D model on the screen to match the posture of the person sitting there to, to help you with, with what hmm. you're doing. And it's of course a barrier as the electronics get better, they get smaller, it gets easier to work in this space. <laughs> yeah, I think that for me, as I said before, I don't like to make like mini gods and I don't like to make mini gods that are staying on your shoulder all the time telling you what's right and what's wrong. So for me, it's really important to look at like wearables just as materials, as materials that have specific qualities. And these qualities then find out what they could be for. So we always, in the projects I do, I start by exploring the materials on the body in a specific context to try to find what could be the meaning of them, what could be used 
I try to disrupt like the existing functionality that normally some of these functional textiles or smart textiles have and try to see what else they could be for. And I think this is really challenging, but at the same time offers new possibilities. Um, I teach about these topics at a lot of different places, like from fashion schools to um, interaction design schools or product design schools, and I'm setting up a few bachelor and master degrees. And for me, the reason why I'm doing this is because the whole process needs to change. Because I'm the first one that when I'm going to be old, I don't want to be wearing these little mini gods all the time. I would like to wear something that empowers me, that makes, that allows me to do what I want. But it's not about collecting sports information, but, but for someone like me who doesn't want to be measured, it's, it's a, a Zen-like, mm, hedonistic, uh, experiential thing that I like. It sounds like you're talking about there's an emotional change in your relation to the fabric because it has intelligence rather than just putting all your information on the cloud. That, that's the point, I think. And, and when we all, I mean, and everything gathers data. Even your sweater now is gathering data. It's literally getting your sweat out of you and it's changing depending on the temperature. The, the, the fibers that you have can expand, contract in a super small scale. And that's the way we try to understand smart materials or smart uh, textiles is like, if we get data, from it, we get data from the material because we want to make better materials that fit you. But we don't want we don't want to make you a better person because it's up to you to decide what it means better. But I'm an expert on the material and that's what I can work with. And if I get data, I get I get I put the center source literally in the material rather than on top of it so it measures your skin. I put it in so I measure the temperature of the material. Maybe I measure the temperature of your shoes so I know if they are um, bouncing, bouncy enough or flexible enough and of course you can say that if I'm measuring the material I'm also measuring you but at least it's, it's what you're saying it's, I'm making it to make your clothes better I'm making it so you can get a better uh, fit a better use a better line but better again, performance yeah. better, better performance exactly that's a better word well, Anyway, <laughs> but with the same kind of data, like you can say like in these multidisciplinary teams that are in the partnerships that you have, for example, you, you, while you are focused on developing a better, uh, a better fabric, for example, you might have somebody who is exploring what can, what can that data help out to create some sort of service for that user in that particular context. Yeah, I think that you never know what they're going to be using it for. Um, well, I was... I was trying to set up a project a few a few years ago on how we could um, and how we can use the body as an encryption. So if you don't know where the sensors are, if you don't know the position of them, if you don't know what materials are between them, it's really difficult to make sense of the data. Of course, if they will get the product and they will look at it, they will see where it is. But I think that this could also be a way of um, encrypting the data. It's by um, creating uh, by placing the sensors in specific places we at which are not the usual. Oh, that's quite cool. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of things we haven't thought of and, and uses for that. An analogy that comes to my mind about part of that is that if, if we create a database and then we just vomit it up onto the web as naked objects, it's not the way people want to experience that 
you need an additional layer of interpreting that and turning it into a useful form. And, and, and likewise, people are, are still at the early stages of Internet of Things and, and measuring things in textiles. You still need to, instead of taking that information directly, have this, I don't know, emotional interpretation layer to, to uh, turn it into a form that makes sense to people's lives and, and be very sensitive as a service designer not to alter the perception of self or mm. someone's path through life in a negative way. Yeah, and I also think that if we don't try to transform data into a 2D visual thing and we keep it, at, if we keep information from the senses for the senses, then actually um, these issues become less important because you will need your body to make sense of the data. Someone with a different body will have a completely different experience. So that also could be a way of preventing this to happen. So if what, in the same way that you are sensing, you will feel also this data, then you know exactly what it means. But if you have bigger arms, smaller arms, if your body temperature is higher or lower, it will have a completely different uh, impact on you. Does it make sense? I'm trying to translate that into very mechanical engineering terms. So I have a tailored shirt that is tuned to my body in some way. Ricardo steals my shirt and puts it on mm. and it just electrocutes him in the wrong places. I, I, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or imagine that you have some kind of garment that it shrinks with temperature. Um, so it gets really fitted to your body while you are playing sports. I'm just making up as I yeah. go. Um, if if he will be wearing your shrinking t-shirt, doesn't matter how much it will shrink, that you will feel it like super loose. Yeah. Yeah. So that means that does, I mean, the data of your behavior, it's been shown to him. He's been, he's been experiencing it, but the meaning behind he can get has nothing to do with what you are, uh, what you are experiencing. The sense of feeling stronger, like your body's getting like, uh, um, like, um, like gr growing in a way, feeling more pressed. Uh, it's completely different than the tickling effect of something moving on your skin that he will have. So that's like the ultimate layer of like garment customization, right? It's not just like the size and the kind of tissues or the fabrics you're going to use. It's also how these fabrics are going to react to your own specific body, which opens like an interesting door, for example, in retail. Uh, I like I just comparing this with, with you are coming from a very engineering background and I'm coming from a very product and, and, and commercial background in that sense and I'm trying to make a bridge here but like if I look at like companies like Nike or Adidas that they are doing like their own customized shoes with you choose the fabric you choose the sole you choose everything this is the, another level like in terms of garment for, for your body that you can customize yeah, I have like a PhD student who's working on personalizing the behavior of the soles of your shoes. Wow. That's uh, the PhDs yeah. we have now. Or yeah. another one that's working on how will how the fashion system will change when we are wearing like dynamic screens. But we will be wearing like um, dynamic textiles that have some kind of dynamism. I think that that um, emotional connection possibilities are huge and anybody who's in branding of clothes or other items would 
be interested in in talking mm -hmm. to you and, and driving that forward i i could continue all day but i think unfortunately ricardo we need to head down we're uh quite honored to be finalists for the best methodology award here for iotservicekit.com something that we created but if if people want to get in touch with you how could they continue the conversation yeah so uh they can just write me an email uh, my email is uh, well, my name is Oscar Tomiko, so my email is like o.tomiko at tue.nl. Okay, we're going to put that under the link description so you guys can also enter. <laughs> I know, I know, that's a better. <laughs> directly in contact with Oscar. Uh, you are Eindhoven based, right? In Barcelona as well. Yes, both places. Okay. So Quite in the two hotbeds of IoT in Europe. That's excellent. Yes, yes, it's true. There's actually, I think, the IoT conference going on right now. Or was it last week? In Barcelona, sure. yeah, I think it was the last week, if I'm not wrong. And this week it's Design Week in Eindhoven. It's a pretty busy month. It is. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining, Oscar. Uh, really, really nice to learn so much about like the future of textiles. A pleasure. Brilliant. Thank you. See you guys next time. See ya. Bye bye.